Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McGinnis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Caregiver's Toolbox, Tools for Everyday Caregiving. We'll give you information and education on senior care topics, and we are continuing our podcast from last time, which was 12 questions to ask private home care agencies, especially when you're interviewing them. And we had gotten to six. The the first six were, uh, are your workers insured? How are your caregivers vetted? What is ongoing training? What is the experience of the office staff? And what is the age of the company? And then finally, what happens if you're unhappy with a caregiver? So those were the first six. Um, Number seven is cancellation policy. Um, And I have Janet here with me. And cancellation policy is always an interesting one because private home care is not extraordinarily regulated, regulated, which some of you might like, some of you might not like. Um, But as with any private business, they can have different service agreements, different contracts, different clauses in them. And cancellation is a big one. So what, what have you seen out there with cancellations, Janet? Well, with cancellations, they tend to fall into um, patterns. You know, you have the people that are chumming right along, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to the hospital, and you get a call the night before, and it's out of the blue, you know. And then there are other people that almost cancel once a week or whatever. And you have to kind of look at them differently because there's the human side of things happen, you know. But when you have the people that are like a kid that's habitually cutting class, you know, that's not good for business. It's not fair. It's not showing respect to your caregivers. So you have to kind of have a a little chat with these people and say, so what's the schedule going to be? Are you going to? Um, do we need to change the time? Do we need to do something different? Otherwise, we need to let them know that if we don't get sufficient notice, we are going to have to charge them because we have said to caregiver out in good faith to do care. Absolutely. So there's there's ways of, of when uh, customers are maybe taking advantage of your cancellation policy um, with, with changing times at the last minute and things like that. And you try to be as understanding with what can- that cancellation policy is. Um, but, you know, our general rule of thumb is once that caregiver's left to go to the job, you're on the hook for that time. You, you know, you, you can't call us up 15, 20 minutes, half an hour beforehand. Um, you call us up two or three hours beforehand, we can cancel that. But once the train has left the station, it's left the station and, and you know, that's the circumstance. Now, of course, you know, there's always kind of uh, exceptions to the rule. Obviously, if somebody passes away suddenly or things like that, yep. understandable. But, you know, if it's and certainly if it's habitual like you're talking about, then it becomes another issue. Now, with the other thing with cancellations that we see out there is actually all-out canceling services. So there's two different types of cancellations. What, what happens when it's uh, sporadic cancellings of hours or a block of time, and then there's completely canceling services totally, like saying, we are no longer through with you. And that gets tricky as well. Yep. It, it does, because you've got things set up. You want to know why they're canceling. You know, is it a matter of they went to a nursing home or whatever, or was there there's some other situation that they suddenly don't want to use us? Yeah. And so, so what ends up happening is if you're dealing with um, the situation where somebody doesn't want to use you anymore, you, you want to find out why. 
And if that reason is, is an understandable reason, obviously they can cancel at any time, but there are agencies out there that have a minimum amount of time that you have to give them notice on. So whether that's seven days, 10 days, 30 days, there are even agencies out there that if you sign their service agreement, you're agreeing to at least 10 days worth of services with them because of um, the amount of effort, time and productivity and, and money that is spent finding these caregivers, interviewing these caregivers, and then placing them into the home, you need to make it worth the while of the agency. My always feeling, and Jan and I have spoken about this a lot of times, is there's really three reasons why somebody's going to cancel on you. And it's it's somebody dies, somebody um, goes to a skilled facility, a hospital or a rehab, or you're not doing a very good job and they're not really thrilled with your services. You're not doing a good job. And we've always felt like that's None of those three reasons are, are good enough to charge somebody seven days worth of services, which could amount to $4,000. I mean, we're talking if you're doing 24 hours of care. To get a freebie four days worth of services, or I mean, excuse me, seven days worth of services or 10 days worth of services because somebody doesn't know when their loved one's going to pass away or somebody's not going to know that. Um, so I, I do see it from both sides with agencies where they want to recoup the cost of finding these caregivers through orientation, through training, the amount of time that the office has to spend finding the right caregiver and then allowing them to be interviewed by the family. There is a lot of time spent in that and time equals money. Um, but at the same time, it's also health care. So just find out what that cancel policy is and whether or not you agree with it. Yeah, and I think one other um, reason that people cancel that they don't want to acknowledge is running out of funds. And because that people feel is embarrassing. And there are times that, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I've only got enough in mom's bank account till the, I don't know, the end of the month or next month or whatever. Um, there's nothing wrong with asking how you can cut back and alter services because maybe you need a little more time to come up with your plan B. Yeah. But that's one, you know, be honest. Anybody that is, is in this industry knows this is a serious expense. And there's no shame in saying, you know what, mom's finances are not letting us continue. Yeah. And, and, and so that's with cancellation. Number eight is company accreditations. And why I put this on here is, 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 is maybe this is more because of Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, there, you don't even need a business license to become a private home care agency company. All you need is to just incorporate through an LLC and you're ready to roll. They, they, the state of Massachusetts looks at private home care in the same vein for now as a house cleaning company or a, uh, a landscaping company where, you know, you know, even though nobody wants their hedges to be mistrimmed, it's not the <laughs> end of the world, right? If, if somebody comes in and somebody steals your TV, that sucks. It, without a doubt, it stinks. But, you know, it's a TV versus if somebody comes in and is negligent to your baby or to your, your elderly loved one. You know, that can result in, in major problems and even up into death. Um, so the reason I bring up company accreditations is we got accredited by the Home Care Alliance of, the Mass of Massachusetts. And it's just finding out if somebody has taken the time to get accredited by some other commission of some kind. Now, I have friends that own um, agencies that are franchised and they don't have any accreditations. Well, at the same time, they don't necessarily need those accreditations because they're working for a national franchise, and the franchise in and of itself is um, 
probably doing internal audits to make sure that these individual franchise owners are doing the right thing. So, you know, take, take it with a grain of salt, but as a family-owned, you know, independent uh, agency, I thought it was important to get that accreditation. Yeah, and I think people like to know you got the good housekeeping seal of approval sure. from somebody. You know, you didn't just put a phone on your desk and start a business. Yes, somebody's told us that we're not a bunch of fools. You know, that's basically what we've, <laughs> what we've been told. So, I mean, but at the end of the day, I think it's just good because also when you're accredited by an, an agency, um, you're involved in the agency. There's there's some type of, you know, it costs me hundreds if not thousands of dollars a year to be part of different agencies, to go out to different conferences, to be involved in this, and because it's to learn and to understand more and more and more. And I think that that is important to do. And so if somebody has those company accreditations, it's good. If they don't, it doesn't mean that they're horrible. It doesn't mean that they're in the slums and you can't use them. It's just something that says, all right, maybe this, this, it just gives you a little bit more of a warm and fuzzy feeling. And I think that's important to ask when you're like, hey, do you have any accreditations? Who are you a membership with? What, uh, you know, uh, what, what, um, what, where am I, what commissions and what, what type of, um, what is your involvement in your industry? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How are you involved in making sure that this industry stays good and you're doing a good job and things like that? So that's where that thought and idea came from. Um, number nine is, is, is an important question to ask as well, which is what if I need to increase or decrease hours? Um, so what happens? What's involved in that process? And I think that's an important one to ask because every company is a little bit different and everybody has different policies based around that. I'm sure most agencies are more than happy to increase hours for you. But I think it's more on the side of what happens when we need to decrease hours quickly. What do you think, Janet? Yeah, I think I agree. It's the decreasing hours that's hard. Um, you know, in many cases, it, there's been a relationship established with those caregivers. And when you go to shorter hours, these caregivers are trying to earn a living. And if it gets to short enough hours that they would rather have another assignment with longer hours, you risk losing that caregiver. And then you have to bring someone else in. But the same can happen with longer hours, too, because you can have, you know, caregiver Kathy that you love to death, and she can't work those extra few hours. And it may mean re uh, changing around who the, the caregivers are. And uh, so you have to kind of see. And, and sometimes it, it, it ebbs and flows. It goes, up, it goes up for more hours. It comes back down. My personal feeling is when you're starting out with an agency um, to at least with us here, you want to almost what they sometimes call front-loading and put in a few extra, a few days of more hours than maybe you think you need. And to cut it back, absolutely, that makes sense. I think what's hard is when you're trying to control costs from day one and you're trying to figure out what's the minimum number of hours and you really do need more, that puts stress on everything. Yeah. And so one thing to think about um, what happens if you increase or decrease hours, for, for example, we take a one-week security deposit to do business with us where we have a credit card on hand and we take a one-week security deposit. And so if you decide to go from 10 hours a week to 20 to 24 hours a day, so you're going from a relatively low amount of hours to the maximum amount of hours, you should also be aware that if there's a security deposit involved, there's probably going to be an additional security deposit taken. And, and that's assuming it's ongoing. Now, listen, if somebody calls up and says, hey, I need 24 hours of care for three days, 
while I'm away in Montreal doing something and I'm not going to be around. We're not going to take a security deposit. This is an ongoing basis. But at the same time, if somebody is using us for 24 hours a day and says, you know what, I have a nephew that's going to be living with us permanently and we only need you overnight, so we only need you 10 hours a day, well then, at the same time, you can expect to get some of that security deposit back or to have that that next week's worth of work, you know, eaten up with that security deposit. So you're not right. spending it. So those, those are some things to think about with that. But when you call up and you're looking to increase and decrease hours, you also want to find out how quickly can they turn that around? How quickly, if you need an emergency, can they get those hours around? Just like we talked about in previous ones. Like it, speed is important in home care because emergencies happen and they happen every single day. So... Um, another one, and I think this is this would be good for you, Janet, because I was thinking about you with the clinical side of things, is what happens when your caregiver notices something's wrong with a parent? Um, and what I mean is that can either mean whether it's a baseline has changed or maybe it's just a acute issue that's occurring, whether it's a rash or a skin tear or something that's more, um, not life-threatening, but it's like, discomforting or or you know hurts their 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 daily comfort of life that type thing yeah i mean we we work very closely with our staff so that anything that they i like to say they observe and report they don't assess and treat they don't look at something and decide it needs a band-aid and go on their merry way if there's skin redness if there are so many things that can be nipped in the bud especially if that person's doing personal care they're seeing every square inch of that that loved one of yours and they can see where things are happening and they are here the expectation is that they are going to contact the office and if it is something that um, you know unless it is very minor uh, that can wait till 8 o'clock the next morning. If something comes up, even at, at night, we have on call for that reason. It's not for them to decide how important or not. And we've established a good relationship with the families. We know who the primary contact is. We're not the visiting nurse that you may have had when they first came home. So we don't ship a nurse out there all of a sudden to go deal with the wound. We're going to work with the family and uh, what the guidelines are that they've set up for help. Absolutely. So the, the, you, just, you just, you know, at the end of the day, the, what are caregivers and what caregivers should do? And the, the correct answer to this question should be, the caregivers notice something wrong, they immediately call the office, and the office immediately calls the family. Yep. If there is any question of it being an emergency, the caregiver, meaning that something has happened where, let's say the, the, the person's fallen and they're unconscious, the caregiver calls 911, the caregiver calls the office, the office calls the family. That's yep. really the only two scenarios in which um, things deviate. Um, we have situations where we'll talk to the family members and then we'll suggest, hey, you know, the, the def default for a lot of families is go to the hospital. And we've talked about urgent cares before on podcasts, and we'll say, you know what, listen, this is not, you know, brain, brain bleeding or whatever. This is, this is an acute issue with a rash or, or, you know, whatever it might be. You, you might want to look at, you know, a less, less um, 
stressful environment to, to get fixed. But that's where that conversation happens and what you're talking about, Janet, with having the relationship with the family to make some suggestions. But you sum that up really well where it's where it's, it's observe and report, not a diagnose and treat. So that, that's... Yeah. And you also have the, you know, there has to be a sense of, of trust with your staff that if someone calls 911 and it wasn't really needed, that's okay. You'd rather have that happen than have them not call 911. And a lot of times the elderly, they'll say, don't call 911, just help me off the floor. You know, and they're too heavy to pick up. And they, that is what the caregivers need to do for everybody's safety. Absolutely. And your mother or your father can fight with the EMTs when they get there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so we've kind of briefly mentioned on this, but this is a big one as well. Um, we've talked about it with kind of increasing and lowering hours. But it's really kind of what is the, the how quickly is the turnaround time? So if I if if a, and when turnaround time is when you get the call when the agency gets a call from a family member saying I need care, how quickly can that agency get care out into the home in an emergency situation? And that's a number that should be in the hours, not in the days. Correct. It should be under six hours, probably under four hours. You know, four hours or under is, is a, in my opinion, a, an understandable amount of time. If somebody says, well, you know, we got to mail you out the service agreement, and then we have to meet with you, and then we'll make an assessment. It's not, we get calls from emergency rooms that are like, this person's going home and they need help. Now, does that mean that you're going to have the greatest personality out there in the world? Maybe not. Because we're looking at that point in time when we're when it's a Friday at two, we're looking at quality of care and consistency of caregiver. Who can go there Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and Monday morning, the same caregiver, and what caregiver can be there Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night to stay consistent? Now, who that, can keep them safe? Exactly. Um, wow, you you are so much more succinct than I am. We should have these <laughs> podcasts should only be five minutes long rather than so long. That's what we're looking for. You know, we're looking for who's going to keep them safe, and then on Monday morning we'll worry about personalities, and we'll worry exactly. about. Now, I'm not going to send somebody out, some hobo out off the street to care for your mom, but it's you prioritize what's most important. Who's keeping safe? Can we keep them continuity of the same caregiver? And then if the personality is a great fit, even better. Yeah, and I mean, we, like you say, you don't want to send a hobo off the street. We have a, um, a certain group of our caregivers that you can drop them into a burning building and they will, they will function because yeah. they understand there's probably kinks and things that have not been worked out. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's just the beauty of, of knowing your staff. So, I mean, that's that's having a good relationship with everybody. So, the next one is um, the final one. The next one and the final one is the all important question that we get: What are your minimum hours? What is the minimum hours of an agency? And we have talked about this at a length with other with other ones, so we don't have to go into it. Um, but you know, Janet mentioned it a little earlier that it's harder to get caregivers to go to shorter hour cases. I've mentioned it in recent videos and podcasts about the Achilles heels of private home care with low hours being very difficult, but it's just good to know what the minimum amount of hours are for your agency. Just in case something happens where you only need a certain amount of hours and it ends up working out out well. Um, With that line, with that, and I'll let you speak in a second, Janet, you know, I am confident that, and it's, it's happened recently, that if you have an ongoing relationship with an agency where 
you're constantly using them from 8 or 10 or 12 hours of care, you'll be able to get a caregiver to come out for three hours because that caregiver knows that they have an ongoing relationship, they have an ongoing job, and that this is, this is part of the, the process. So if you say, hey, listen, I have family in for the next few weeks, for next week or so or whatever it is, and I just yeah. don't need as much care, but if you could do four hours in the morning rather than your normal eight hours, well, the caregiver is not going to be thrilled, but they know that it's going to go back to eight hours yep. so you'll be able to get those lower amounts of care. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this happens during special occasions, birthdays, holidays, whatever. Can you come and get mom or dad up and ready and dressed? But they really don't want the caregiver having to be there during the family gathering. Yeah, they don't need you You there. Because there's enough people hands on deck that can handle the situation. Yeah, we have someone that asked if on Friday we can get the person ready to go by midday to go to a wedding. There we go. You know? Uh And they said, oh, thank God, it's Susie Q because... There's you know no time be, for a hairdresser. Yeah, you know we'll get it done. So. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, Janet, thank you for your insight. Uh, my name is Ryan, and this is Janet, and this is the Caregiver's Toolbox with the last six things you should ask a private home care agency. I appreciate you listening to our podcast. If you would rate it, subscribe to it, whatever you have to do um, to make sure you get new episodes from us. We try to get two or three out per week. So anyways, thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next one.